We're uh, going to be in John's Gospel uh, today and next Lord's Day as well. It's my favorite gospel. Ever since I took a course on the Gospel of John early in my seminary career and was taught by an adjunct professor at the seminary, at Erskine Seminary at that time by the name of Joe Geddes. And yes, he's kin to some of our Geddeses some way or another, Paul could tell you. Uh, he had taught Bible for years and years at uh, PC and uh, Erskine used him some and he was a delightful teacher and has lots of little books that he has written through the years uh, how to study John, how to study the books of Acts and, and these kinds of, of little books but anyway uh, John sort of gives us a bigger picture and uh, that's what we find in this text today if you have your bulletin open, I hope you'll read along with me uh, verses 14 through 18. Let's read the Word of God together. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Uh, you know, back many years ago when I was restoring an old British sports car, I had been looking for a parts car for that restoration process. Now, for the uninitiated, a parts car is just what the name implies. It's a car that's in too poor shape uh, to restore itself, but it's a, it's a car you can also get some parts out of that you can't find readily in the aftermarket. Things like hardware and hinges and maybe window glass and some gauges and things like that. And my brother travels in his job, and so he goes lots of different places, and he called me one day. He knew I was looking for a parts car and said, I saw this TR6 on the side of the road, and it looks like something you'd be interested in. And so he sent me some pictures on his phone, and since it was more than two hours from Rock Hill, I let him do the negotiating, and he set up the sale, and then I met him up there on a Saturday morning because he had a trailer I could use to get that car home. And here's the issue. Once I arrived and saw that car, it was far worse in person, so to speak, uh, than I had ascertained from the pictures that I was sent and I was saying to myself standing there looking at that thing you mean I'm going to spend several hundred I don't remember now what it was it was like six or seven hundred dollars you mean I'm going to spend this much money for this piece of junk 
course, I didn't tell my brother that. I was pretty disappointed. Uh, but it turned out all right in the end. I was able to source some things I needed from that car, and then I was able to sell it later on. I didn't really lose much on the proposition. My point being that usually seeing something with our own eyes makes all the difference in the world. Take the Grand Canyon, for example. You can see all of the pictures of the Grand Canyon you want to see. You know, panoramic views, uh, shots from space, your neighbor's pictures on their vacation, but nothing you have ever seen prepares you for seeing that canyon for the first time with your own eyes. The immensity, enormity, and beauty of that canyon cannot be captured on film. The first time I ever saw that canyon was in the month of June, early in the morning when I was a young man, from the south rim, and the colors were magnificent. There were pinks and blues, greens and browns, and depending on the time of day, you know, the air uh, between the south and north rims can take on a shade of blue as if there's so much distance between the two it's like you're looking through sky to see the other side it's sort of like the words of Job when he's talking to God and says I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear but now now my eye sees you to really see someone or something makes all of the difference and this is one point John is communicating to you and me by these words in this passage before us this morning think about what he says in verse 14 and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory glory as of the only son from the father we see here the gift of the incarnation that God actually becomes flesh in His Son, Jesus Christ. And by becoming the same as us, He's able to share our sorrows and our griefs, bear our burdens, atone for our sins, and unite us to God the Father. But He was here for only a brief time. The Greek word John uses here that's translated as dwelt, dwelt among us, is an unusual word in the New Testament. It's used only here and four times in the book of Revelation, and that's it. But it implies a temporary residence. And because of this, it was used to speak of the tabernacle, if my memory serves me correctly, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, what we refer to as the Septuagint. You know, that tabernacle, that place of worship that moved, you'll remember, with the children of Israel in the wilderness, wherever they went. In fact, I imagine some freer translations would say or could say that the Word became flesh and pitched His tent among us. 
And when we think of the tabernacle, we can see the, the meaning of something that's not only temporary, but something or someone localized as well. The presence of God has come to dwell with His people in a very specific place at a specific time. In fact, one translation said Jesus has moved in among us. And I don't want to make a big deal about this, but usually, and I say usually... We're so caught up in the sentimentality of this baby being born in the manger at Bethlehem that we forget that we aren't really aware of the fact that tents are not fun unless you're a child or a masochist. And I say that because tents are either hot or they're cold if you've ever done any camping or they may have water running through the middle of them or you may be afraid you're going to be eaten by some wild animal. I was camping in a tube, a plastic tube tent up in Canada on a motorcycle trip when I was young, and I was awakened in the middle of the night by a huge four-legged animal beside my tent. I didn't know if it was a wolf or a dog or a coyote, but I just laid there like I was dead until it finally moved on. Now think about, you know, how long do you think it took me to go back to sleep after that? <laughs> Adrenaline flowing and all that. The point is, Jesus didn't go on a joy ride when he came to earth. He took on limitations. He grew up in a refugee family. You know, many times on the television we see these pictures of refugees and I want you to notice how they're normally not smiling because it's a hard and difficult life filled with fear of the unknown. It was a time of hardship and suffering and we have to understand that this is part of God's gift to you and me in the gift of His Son. That's part of the gift. All of these difficult times, all of this suffering. All that He did, all He was willing to do and endure on our behalf. A few moments ago we read he, he dwelt among us and we have seen His glory. Yes, He was here for just a certain amount of time, but while here the glory of God was revealed in Him. The idea of the tabernacle is pertinent once again. We know from Numbers 9 that the cloud was the sign of God's presence. You remember the cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. And this cloud dwelt above the tabernacle. And this cloud did several things. It led the people through the wilderness. It also told them to stay put when it was not moving. And it revealed the glory of God and, I would say, concealed some of His glory at the same time. But the point John is making is that the glory of God, once 
restricted to the tabernacle is now visible in this gift of His Son, Jesus Christ. And it's not just visible, but this glory can be touched and handled and heard and seen. This glory is not just about miracles and power, though that's part of it, but also about who God is and how we see His character in this Word that became flesh. But this glory is about even more than that. His glory is about the cross and the gift of salvation, the faith that He makes possible. We see this early in John's gospel and all through it. In fact, at the end of this prologue, John will give us the events of seven consecutive days ending on the day in which Jesus changed the water into wine at the wedding in Cana. And John concludes these seven days and that first sign by stating in 2.11 that this, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. This is why he came that we might see His glory and believe in Him. Now you might be thinking, but we're not alive while Jesus was on the earth. We can't see His glory, to which John would answer, sure you can. What was the tabernacle? It was a place of worship. It was also a place of sacrifice. We can see the glory of Jesus in part, every time we look at a cross. This is a great irony in John's gospel, how the glory of God in Christ is seen not just in who He is, but also in what He does at the same time and in what He's willing to do in His own passion and suffering for you and for me and for all of the world. You see, in this gospel especially, the cross is part of the glorification of Christ. In John 13, 31, when Judas had left the upper room to go and betray his Lord and Master, what does Jesus say? He says, now, now is the Son of Man glorified. And in Him, God is glorified. James Montgomery Boyce makes the point in his commentary that the experience of the early disciples is duplicated in all who believe in the Lord of glory today. And he points to the Apostle Paul who writes of the experience of all Christian people in 2 Corinthians 3 when he says that we are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. In other words, we're supposedly becoming more and more like Jesus Christ in the process of sanctification by the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we do that, we reflect His glory to the world around us. 
Is that a picture or a description of your life? As you are growing in grace and faith, do you see yourself in some small way at least reflecting the glory of Christ to the world around you? Isn't that part of what we sing about in that lovely hymn? We love to sing at the end of the lessons and carols service, love divine, all loves excelling. You know, there's that line in there, changed from glory into glory. Till in heaven we take our place. And we could spend more time on this subject of glory, but there are two other important words in this text we need to mention that we find at the end of verse 14. When John says, We have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. Not only do we see God's glory in Jesus, but this glory is full of grace and truth. Now, because you and I may not know our Old Testament scriptures as well as John knew his, what we have to understand is that this whole phrase recalls the story of Moses that we can read about in Exodus 33 and 34 when he wants to see God's glory. And in Exodus 34, God tells Moses to cut two tables of stone like the first and that he will write upon them. And when Moses arrived at the top of the mountain, the Lord, we're told, descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And then God announces to Moses, the Lord, the Lord a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. You see that last phrase, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, can be correctly translated as full of grace and truth. In fact, John has given a more literal translation than the Greek translation of Old Testament which tells us he's working from the Hebrew text. Those words grace and truth describe the character of God as one who is loyal to the covenant which he's made with his people. These words are all about the importance of relationship. And that's so clear if you read Exodus 33 because Moses is making the point that he wants God to continue to go with them and to be with them as a nation. That's why they're different than all the other nations on the earth. And God says, this very thing that you have spoken I will do for you have found favor in my sight and I know you by name. Do you see John's emphasis? Think big picture here. He is opening the message of his gospel. 
his gospel of Jesus Christ with some very, as they've been called, time-honored and even elegant words. But these words are stressing that God wants a relationship with you and me and this world. This is why this word has become flesh. This is why his glory has been revealed. This is why grace and truth are emphasized. It's covenantal language coming from this all-powerful and all-knowing God, a God who is love. And that love manifests itself in a very specific gift to His creation. The Word made flesh, full of grace and truth. This gift of Jesus, initiated by God Himself, is a new covenant. In fact, that's a better title for what we refer to as the New Testament. It is a new covenant. The New Testament is a new covenant recalling the words of the prophet Jeremiah in his 31st chapter when he says the days are coming says the Lord when I will make a new covenant. I will put my law within them and I will write it upon their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people and I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Yes, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth, that is to say who God really is, came through Jesus Christ. Grace, a wonderful gift we could never deserve. Marvelous grace, just like we sang about a little while ago. And truth, the truth that God has loved you and me with an everlasting love and continues to love us even today. As Paul says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him be glory forevermore. It's the good news of the gospel. It's the good news of the Christmas story. Amen. Amen.